already broke one of the rules. My coffee's on the floor in here. Sorry. <laughs> I was just telling someone last night how at college church back in the day they had this rule that there were no drinks allowed in the sanctuary. And every week, there I was with my coffee. <laughs> it's very important, you guys. I had to figure out that Kroger has coffee this morning. It's star. They have Starbucks. Did you know that? They do. The Target one is not open yet, which I also found out the hard way. <laughs> All right. Okay. So I still have a voice. I don't know if that's lucky for you or not, but I do still have a voice. I told John when I got back last night that if, because my family's with me, if you didn't know that, um, I told him that if I woke up without a voice, that he was on and handed him the manuscript to look at last night. Uh, okay, so a few things that have happened since last night that you need to know that have nothing to do with my talk, but we just need to get it out of the way. Because while you're like hanging out in fellowship thing, real life things are happening. One, marathon history was broken this morning in Vienna. And if you listened to my talk yesterday in my introduction, you know that I love running. Okay. No one has ever run a sub two hour marathon until this morning. And a Kenyan runner came in at 159.40, made history. You're welcome. Now you know, you can tell someone, like, guess what happened today? If you don't like sports, it's still good trivia. Second, do I have any pumpkin spice, pumpkin people, pumpkin things? Yeah, look, Rage Tea should be a giveaway for this one. All right. <laughs> I myself am not a pumpkin anything or a flannel shirt. Well, I wore a flannel shirt yesterday, anything. <laughs> but it's just like not my jam, okay? But listen, Starbucks has a drink that you need to know about. It is called the Pumpkin Cream Cold Brew. Have you had it? If you haven't yet, you need to. And you might as well ask them for a grande and a venti cup. They're going to ask you if that's because you want more room and you're just going to say, sure, more room's great, but really they just give you a venti. And it is amazing, and it's mostly coffee, just a little bit of pumpkin cream. You need to know about it. Write it down. Go get it afterwards. Three, how many of you stayed in the hotel with friends last night? Raise your hand. Okay. Did you sleep well? No, you didn't sleep at all, did you? <laughs> That's okay, either did I. <laughs> because my kids, you guys, in the hotel room, which Jeff has so kindly provided for us, and it is wonderful, there are two rooms, and they have queen-size beds, and there's a pull-out couch. And I feel like, selfishly, I should get one of the beds. <laughs> but no. <laughs> two things. I slept on the couch. Second of all, the first thing my daughter pointed out this morning, bless her heart, was that my face is breaking out. So that's kind of how our 24 hours went. She was like, hey, mom, what is that on your face? I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Go get some egg whites. All right. So now that we've caught up on all those things, last night, you guys, we talked about the wisdom and power of the word in preaching. And this morning, we're going to chat about the wisdom and power of the word in small groups. So if you have your Bible, it's really one verse, Colossians 3.16, all right, that we're going to head to. This water is saving my life. Thanks, Courtney. <clears throat> okay, small groups. All right, at some point, I would love to see someone make a video, YouTube would be fine, of all the cliches involved in a typical Awkward, 
small group Bible study in the local church. You might have, and by the way, before I say what I'm about to say, like don't start thinking about which one of these people you are. Don't do that. All right. You might have the talker. You know that person that just tends to be a little too wordy, who's the first one to answer all the questions and tends to go on and on and on. You might have the self-referential person, that person who no matter what, what the Bible passage is or the question or the topic, it's 100% about them. You could have the crying Claire this is not my person. I'm just kidding. Who's sweet lady? It's just always tearing up. Or the interrupting Eileen. If, if this is your name, okay, you guys, like I literally made all these names up, okay? The silent Susan, the disagreeing Deborah, the random Reba. Just thinking about country music there. And oh, and the overprepared Pam, okay? And before I offend anyone else, I'm just going to move on. But small groups can be awkward at times, and um, they can also be awesome. And most of them are just kind of okay. But my conviction as a self-proclaimed person who does not love Bible study in small groups, naturally, is that they're a really key place for us to grow together as women in God's work. Okay? The very first Bible study that I ever walked, this is like, this is being recorded, isn't it? I'm going to say it anyways. The ver- I thought about that last night when I went back. I was like, man, I said some things that are probably forever in the archives. The very first women's Bible study small group that I walked into in an unnamed church, I walked, I I left and said I would never go back. I was like, it's just not, it's just not my thing. It's not my jam. And I'm telling you that my conviction now is that these are a key place for us to grow together as women in God's word. And that's what this talk is all about. The power and wisdom of the word in small groups. Okay. So the focal passage in Colossians for the second talk is just that one verse, and I'm going to read it for you guys right now. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God, Colossians 3.16. And I want to go ahead and share what I think right now this verse is all about. The church is, I think this is what Paul is suggesting here in this verse, The church is supposed to be a place for interpersonal word ministry. This is a verse that describes the interpersonal ministry of God's word one to another. So if you look at the beginning of that verse, Paul starts by saying, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We're going to talk a lot more about this reality actually in the third talk today because it relates much more to our own personal lives uh, of devotion, reading and studying the Bible on our own. But it's this obvious starting point for this interpersonal word ministry. Um, His obvious point is that the word must dwell richly in God's people at the individual level. Okay? And this is really, really important. And it's a key point because in the United States, we're often too individualistic about our faith. You know, it's my personal relationship with Jesus. I heard a lot of that out in Princeton. But for Paul, part of the reason you should be growing in your personal relationship with Jesus is so that you can minister the word and the gospel to others in your church community. It's never, ever just about you, which is one thing that I have come to learn and have grown into. Uh, You allow the word to dwell richly in you so that you can then minister the word to those around you in the church. 
So on that point, look what Paul says next in that verse. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So Paul here is talking to the whole church at Colossae, remember? And he says, you all should be so filled with God's word that you have this ongoing practice of teaching and admonishing one another, preaching to each other, if you want to put it that way. I've often um, heard pastors talking about this verse as a beautiful description of what could be called this interpersonal ministry of the word that I mentioned before. This almost preaching to one another um, is something that's meant to happen in the community of believers, according to Paul. We speak God's word into each other's lives. We teach, that means we instruct, and we admonish. That's an even more powerful word that sometimes can describe kind of a forceful instruction um, and even kind of rebuke or command. So here's what we're to understand from what Paul is saying here. There's the pulpit ministry of the word, which we talked about last night that's certainly obviously key and important. The central role of the pastor and the central place of the worship service is 100% the proclamation of God's word. There's no minimizing the importance of that expository word ministry that we dug into last night. But this verse speaks to the ministry of the word one to another, okay, one-on-one in small groups, that's meant to be constantly happening in the life of the church. Relational, interpersonal word ministry. So look again at Paul's words. Teaching and admonishing one another. We talked last night about Paul's understanding of his call as a preacher to the gospel from the end of Colossians 1. Him we proclaim, right, warning and teaching everyone. Your pastors of your churches are certainly called to do that as your pastors. They are called to preach. And you, as we talked about last night, we are called to listen expectantly, earnestly, and with discernment. But this verse is telling you that you have a role in word ministry too. You are called to be so powerfully indwelt by the word of Christ that you teach and admonish one another. You know, I've heard my husband say so many times, because I get that like inside view to everything, that there have been several occasions from especially his youth ministry years back in Wheaton um, into like our pastoral ministry years where he would sit down with people for one-on-one meetings and he would listen to them and they would share about a recent con- like conversation they had, friend- had, had had with a friend that was so encouraging and it would go something like this. Sarah reminded me of this important truth about the gospel and I like I can just see John's eyes and his like he has this controlled look on his face that comes across his face when he's thinking about something and he will almost bite his lip which is his tell for he has something he's thinking about because i think he's thinking in his head i have literally preached about that gospel truth like 100 times but it was my friend sarah that reminded me of this important truth so the point there is that this interpersonal ministry of the word was actually doing something very powerful in that one-on-one conversation. So we're not at all undermining the importance of preaching. You know this because you were here last night. But there is beauty and power in speaking God's word into each other's lives too, over coffee, over the phone, through a text message on a Tuesday afternoon. Okay? So if Paul were here today, I think he would say something like this. It's a little dicey to tell you what Paul would say. I think he would say something like, hey, sisters, I want your churches to be places where the word of God is proclaimed from the pulpit on Sunday mornings, but where the word is also whispered over waffles at an early Friday morning breakfast before work. 
okay? Your pastors need to preach the word on Sundays, but you need to speak the word into each other's lives with love and with power during the week. I think Paul will call all of us to be sharing in this word ministry to one another. This is what I mean by the interpersonal ministry of the word, which is meant to be dwelling richly in all of our hearts. And let me just add, you can't minister the word unless you are more and more mastering the word yourself, okay? We need to know our Bibles. This whole thing depends on the work, uh, the word of God dwelling richly in you personally so that you can minister it relationally. All right, now to move on. Okay, all this discussion means that in the context of the local church, here, so if you attend here, all the different churches that came here in the context of your local church, small group Bible study is uniquely and distinctly important. It's my conviction that, and I know it's Jeff's too, that in our women's ministries, we need to give a central place to studying God's Bible, uh, God's Word together. That's not at all to minimize purely relational activities and get-togethers because those absolutely 100% need to happen. Craft days, brunches, outings, parties, all of those are really good, right? We need fellowship. We should be building friendships in the church by doing things together. We have a quarterly craft day. When, I first, when we first went to what is now Christ Presbyterian, and I was like, I wonder how quarterly craft day goes around here. Y'all, it's like the biggest hit, okay? So those things are really important, but that we're not after necessarily studying God's word on those days. We're after fellowship, and those have a place. But the core of what we do together in women's ministry should be grounded in the spirit of this verse that we're studying today, Colossians 3.16, this interpersonal word ministry one to another. So really on this point, what I want to talk about for the rest of my time in this talk is basically this. How do we do small group Bible study well? How do we allow the wisdom and power of God's word to break forth as we study together in small groups as women? So how do we do this, and how do we do it well? And to answer that question, it's always a question. John always has three. I always have questions. I've got some key elements that I want to suggest, okay, as you continue to build and develop small group Bible studies for women in your churches. Okay, if you're taking notes. First, Small group Bible study done well will require trained leaders. You can just write trained leaders. Um, To put it simply, good study of the Bible needs to be led, and those leaders need to be trained. Now, am I saying that a group of people who have never read the Bible before couldn't pick up Bibles and get important truths about God and Jesus and salvation out of their study? Absolutely not. That would go against our belief in the doctrine or the clarity of the Bible. Okay, the Bible is understandable. As you know, the basic truths about God and salvation are graspable by anyone that opens up the Bible and reads it. But that doesn't mean that trained Bible study leaders aren't helpful or even essential to small group Bible studies that are clear, effective, and profitable. So what am I talking about when I say trained leaders? What I'm not saying is that Bible studies have to be led by professionals, all right? If pastors were the only people who could lead effective Bible studies, then our churches would be in a lot of trouble. Still, there is a certain amount of training and reading and understanding God's word that will be absolutely necessary for every effective Bible study teacher or leader. What kind of training? I'm not talking about master's degrees here, you guys. I was joking with Jeff last night. I'm like, 
I mean, I don't have my master's degree, okay? A lot of people don't. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about training in the basics of the Christian faith and in the right approach to scripture. And it definitely doesn't take any kind of seminary degree or training. There are all kinds of, we'll talk about in a minute, tools and ways to grow in this space. So to get a little more specific, a small group Bible study leader should probably have a good grasp of, if you're taking notes, three things. Number one, the storyline of the Bible. Now, this doesn't mean that a Bible study leader needs to be able to rattle off an outline for every book of the Bible. I can't do that. Can you? If you can, come see me later. I need your tricks. <laughs> but it does mean that people who plan to lead a Bible study should have a decent grasp of the shape of the Bible's story. Okay, That could be or should be that you're able to, in your own words, sketch out a development of God's plan and how it grows and develops throughout the Bible. Whether they, uh, whether you use kingdom language, okay, they were talking about the Simeon Trust, Dave Helm is a God's people and God's place under God's rule kind of person, or if you talk about the covenant promises of God, you should be able to articulate to someone clearly, ideally in maybe like five minutes, the story of God's redemption as it's revealed to us in the Bible. And maybe that summary would include creation and the fall, God's promises to Abraham, the monarchy, the exile, the prophets, Jesus the church, and heaven. And I can see your eyes. <laughs> You're like, I don't want you to get intimidated by what I'm saying at all. I think that if you were to describe the story of the Bible to a friend right now, if we were just to go sit in a corner and start chatting, gave yourself about five minutes, you'd be much further along than you even think based on what I just said. All right? So a women's Bible study leader should have a decent grasp of the overall shape or storyline of the Bible. And let me just say, if you have some women in your various churches who are interested in that or who need training in that, ask your pastor to come spend a couple hours, all right, with your women's ministry leaders. Also a plug. It's not even in my notes. There is a book out there. It's probably on my recommended table. It's a kid's book. It's called The Big Picture Story Bible by Dave Helm. You're nodding your heads because you bought it for all your kids. Y'all should read it, okay? I, I really think that every... One should read the Big Picture Story Bible because in its most basic form, it traces the storyline of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And it's awesome. And about 15 years ago, I read the Big Story, uh, I read the Big Picture Story Bible, and it changed my understanding completely of the storyline of the Bible in a kid's book. Okay? So some of those resources out there that would be wonderful for your children, grandchildren, or also valuable for you. So the Big Picture Story Bible, go, go buy it and read it. Okay, second thing, um, the message of the gospel. Okay, so we're saying um, small group Bible study done well will require trained leaders. All right. And within that, all right, the message of the gospel. Any women's Bible study leader from age 9 to 90, should be able to clearly express the gospel. There are different ways to explain the gospel, but the content needs to be there. The gospel is the good news, right? That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has fulfilled all God's promises to redeem his people from their sins. Through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, the Apostle Paul puts it this way. I'm going to read it. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins 
in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 1, and then 3 to 4. If the gospel, the work of Jesus Christ, is the central message of the Bible, to which we're supposed to connect every passage of scripture that we study, then a Bible study leader needs to be able to understand and clearly express the substance of the gospel. And it doesn't take any kind of extra education to get to that point. Three, the tools. It's possible to have a good grasp on the storyline of the Bible and a good handle on the gospel and still not do a very good job leading a Bible study in a small group setting. Some of you have experienced this, and you know how uncomfortable a poorly direct Bible study can be. Bible study leaders need to be equipped with the right tools to lead an effective discussion and study. So, to that end, we're going to go to my second point. Doing small group Bible study well will require asking the right questions. What makes a good Bible study? It's pretty simple, actually. It all comes down to asking the right questions of the biblical text. This is what separates a bad Bible study and a thriving small group discussion. It's also what sets Bible study apart from someone just standing up to give a sermon, right? Bible study involves a leader who knows how to lead a group and asking the right questions so that the group arrives at the right meaning of the text that you are studying. Now, there are all kinds of good resources that can help you make sure that you're asking the right questions in Bible study. We just talked about one of those recommendations. There are also some great resources out there um, that you all can pick up. But to quickly summarize, though, whatever method you're using in Bible study, the question should be, one, questions that are taking you through the text, okay? So think about the Bible studies y'all are involved in right now or that you've evaluated or the next one that you're choosing for your curriculum or that you're doing at home, okay? Should be questions that are taking you through the text and making you focus first on what the Word of God says. Good Bible study questions make you dig into the text, not the kind of trivia questions, but questions that actually help you uncover the meaning of the passage that you're studying. Second, good Bible study questions are focusing first on what the Bible says, okay, rather than how it makes you feel. In other words, we want to make sure that we're getting the truth of what the Bible is saying before jumping too quickly into my uh, emotional reaction to it. Third, good Bible study questions are helping you put the passage you're studying in its right context. We talked a little bit about this last night. The context of the book and the context of the whole Bible, too. And then finally... Not first, but at the end. Good Bible study questions should be getting you to good, thoughtful application of the text that you're studying. In other words, there's got to be a so what moment at the end of the Bible study where you're really digging into the difference that God's word is meant to make in the way you live your life today, okay? Okay, so we've talked about Bible study being helped by trained leaders and by asking good questions. And here's the final point. In some ways, it's really, I think, maybe the most important point. Good Bible study takes place when the group is really focused on hearing God's voice, which comes, all right, well, as a commitment to that versus what we just mentioned, your own emotional reactions, I think, but a commitment to hearing God's voice. So Bible study requires trained leaders who ask the right questions. That's where we are so far, and I really do believe that this is really important. That's why you're hearing me talk about things like the Simeon Trust, and you're hearing Jeff and Courtney, talk about it and the various ways in which you can um, 
learn to open up the Bible and handle it more rightly. Um, but this last piece, though, is in some ways the most important part. It's what separates Bible, separates Bible study from like a book club or a dinner party. It's what makes our study of the Bible different from our study of any other piece of literature in the world. And by the way, I love book clubs. It's what makes Bible study actually worth doing. Okay? So Bible study, if it is truly Bible study, has to emphasize hearing God's voice. This is why we study the Bible. Yes? To hear God speak. It's actually a supernatural enterprise. Yeah? Bible study should result in a group of people who go their separate ways having heard God speaking to them through the biblical text, and then the result of that is that it makes a difference in the way they live and they think and they speak. So I think what I'm trying to say is that Bible study is not just a mental exercise, even though that's what we often make it. Bible study that is done in the way God intended it to be done should be focused on, yes, getting the passage right, but putting the passage to work in our lives. In fact, the very reason we work so hard to understand God's word so accurately is so that we will come to better know our God, understand his ways, and live for Jesus, our Savior. So Bible study that stops with a list of propositions about what the passage is saying has not done its job, has it? The right study and understanding of God's word absolutely has to impact and affect the way that we go out and live our lives. God's word needs to enter not only our heads, but also our hearts and our lives. And by the way, a huge part of making sure that this is part of your Bible study group is not just ending the study with prayer, but ending the study with prayer that actually relates to what you've been studying on that day. I think so often um, one of the ways, um, I think so often that one of the things that happens in Bible study context is that we inadvertently tell ourselves that what we've studied does not affect our lives. Is that, um, and then we tend to pray about, you know, everything but what we've just studied in the Bible. We'll close our Bibles and we'll not talk to God at all about what his word has just been saying to us. We move right on to praying for, I don't know, Aunt Carol's hernia surgery and Bill's business trip, which, of course, we should pray for too. But one simple way that we can remind other women in our Bible study that we've actually just studied God's word and tried to hear God's voice is by talking back to God about what we've just studying, studied by praying about it together. And by saying, God, thank you for speaking to us today through your word, by talking to God about some of the main points and main applications of the Bible passage you just studied, and then really asking him to allow it to convict you and change your life, your thoughts, and your words. And then you can pray for Aunt Carol's hernia and Bill's business trip. Or my diverticulitis. No, I'm just kidding. All right. I did have that actually this fall. It wasn't very fun. Um, you're like, you're 36. I know. That's what the doctor said too. Okay. So if you wanted to wrap all this up into one phrase to summarize what I've been saying, it would be this. And if you're taking notes, here it is. It's like the cliff notes. Did you guys read the cliff notes in high school? You did, didn't you? Yeah, you did. <laughs> Nodding heads. I was a high school. <laughs> I was an English major and I took so many English classes in high school and in college. It was all just book after book after book. And man, like Cliff Notes saved my life. I was like, I don't, I don't have time to read 400 pages. Like, tell me what it says so that I can pass that test. All right, if I'm going to wrap it all up into one phrase, here's what it is. Small group Bible study done well will consist of trained leaders asking the right questions in order to help God's people hear God's voice in his word. I'm going to say it again. 
small group Bible study done well will consist of trained leaders asking the right questions, focused on hearing God's word through God's voice. God's voice through God's word. Where's my cough? Okay. Okay. All right. I want to start to wrap this up a little bit. So this talk was really in two parts. First, from Colossians 3.16, we were considering this amazing call that we all have in the church, this interpersonal word ministry, one to another. And second, I've been trying to show how one very good and even essential way to apply this Colossians 3.16 command is in the context of small group Bible study and women's ministries in the church. So Bible studies that are led by trained leaders who ask the right questions are prayerfully focused on hearing God speak through his word. I don't like memorize that. Go home. Tell someone. But I want to go one more place before I close this talk. And that's toward an even more personal place where we can apply this concept of inner personal word ministry in the church. Okay? And that place is friendship. I'm mainly talking here about our one-to-one relationships with other women in the church. Okay? The text messages that fly from woman to woman during the week. The meetings for coffee midweek to catch up between school drop-offs and soccer practices and caring for aging parents and jobs and everything else. The quick phone conversations with friends in the middle of chaos. And here's my question. In our friendships with women in the church, are we intent on practicing this interpersonal word ministry, even in our passing comments, brief conversations, and updates on our families and our activities? Are we teaching and admonishing one another even as we're on the go? Because life is lived for a lot of us on the go. Does God's word shape our conversations, our text messages, our phone calls, our encouraging pick-me-ups to our friends? Listen, I hear my husband preach every week from the pulpit, and I love it. I love listening to him preach God's word. It is good. It is helpful, it's encouraging, it's almost always convicting. But I have to say that sometimes another sister in Christ applying God's word to my situation, even in a brief moment during the week, can be particularly powerful for me. I know you know what I'm talking about. The pulpit ministry that we sit under is the study diet that we all need, the main course that we live on. But sometimes we need that spiritual cup of coffee on a Thursday afternoon, when a sister in Christ says, Jeannie, here's what God's word has to say about that attitude or that situation or that ABCD. And I want to challenge you to read through that passage and see how, uh, what it might be saying to you. See what I mean there? Okay. Small group Bible study is kind of the formal programmatic way that I think we in the church can apply this call from Colossians 3.16. But in our friendships, these relationships in the church, uh, which we live out during the week, there's a key place uh, there for practicing this interpersonal word ministry as well. And that should be particularly encouraging because even though we just read through this like and talk through all this, um, how can we better handle the Bible? Here are some suggestions. Let's train our leaders. What's this and what's that? I mean, this is stuff that uh, can be done in five minutes or in 10 minutes or in a phone call or a quick text message. I was just telling someone this morning that um, 
I've often been the recipient of such moments and my phone was full yesterday of text messages from women who love me and love the church and have been praying and know about my voice and this and that. And it's like, that's uplifting and that's encouraging. And it took them 20 seconds, you know, in their prayers along the way. So I want to encourage you, if anything that was in this talk earlier seemed a little bit overwhelming, that one, I hope it's not because I'm standing up here in front of you and I just told you I had a degree in English education. Two, but you can do so much one-on-one, -on -one, behind closed doors, during the week, over a cup of coffee, through an email, and I would encourage you to do that. Um, okay, so the wisdom, uh, the power and wisdom of God's words in small groups. Are we good? So we have preaching, we have small groups. Third is going to be personal study, and that's what we're going to cover next. All right, let me pray. Lord, thanks for um, another morning, another day to wake up and to praise you and to learn more about you and to grow closer to you as we study your word, Lord. I thank you for these words in Colossians and the implications of what it means to have interpersonal word ministry in our churches, in our friendships, Lord. I pray that uh, we would go from here thinking about, hey, uh, where am I at? Where can I grow? What are you saying to me through your word, Lord? In your name we pray. Amen.